Um, at the end, one thing that they did wind up doing with the clickers and um, the bloater was they glossed them up quite a bit because with the lighting, which a lot of it's natural lighting because we're outside. And when they first, when they first said they wanted to put gloss on, you know, as costume people, we were like, <gasps> um, yeah, like what, are you what are we going to do on the costume? <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to the Art of Costume Blogcast. I'm Spencer Williams. And I'm Elizabeth Joy Glass. Spencer, how's it going? Oh my gosh, it's going. It's been a it's been a wild few days. I had a pretty crazy weekend. <laughs> I I bet. I bet. It's it's a busy, busy season for us, I feel like. Dude, I DJ'd this weekend for Katy Perry. No, you didn't. I did. It was one of the wildest moments of my life. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay, Spencer. <laughs> I'm not making this up. It was really wild. Um, yeah, it's just been, you know, award season still kind of wrapping up for us. So I'm excited to, you know, get into some fun new projects. But I have to say, I've just been obsessed with a certain TV show and I just can't stop talking about it. It's kind of taken over my life. I think everyone is obsessed with this TV show and its leading man. I think you all know what we're talking about. <laughs> we are talking about The Last of Us. Pedro Pascal, the Dadalorian. Everyone is obsessed <laughs> with the <this> show. <laughs> Seriously, like... I so confession, it's a little bit of a different episode because I only watched the first three episodes because it is so stressful oh uh, my gosh elizabeth yes it is true elizabeth has only seen the first three episodes uh so this episode this bonus episode will be sans elizabeth (laughs) (laughs) i'm sorry i just i already have a lot of stress in my life i don't need the fictional stress of what (laughs) Sounds like it could become a really real zombie apocalypse. (laughs) And as much as Daddy Pascal is amazing, (laughs) he does not lower my stress level during the show. (laughs) Well, that is okay because actually today we have a really exciting guest I am so excited to talk to. But first, Elizabeth, why don't you give the summary for this bonus episode? Spencer, after a global fungal pandemic (laughs) destroys civilization, a hardened survivor takes charge of a 14-year-old girl who may be humanity's last hope. That is The Last of Us. Get HBO Max and watch it. Please don't be an Elizabeth. Watch this immediately. No, I get it. It's 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 a lot to watch. But you have seen the first three episodes. And... Yes. And that third one will destroy you. I am warning you. <laughs> <laughs> and that episode is actually our guest favorite episode. So we'll get into that in a little bit. But first, let's dive behind a wardrobe as we usually do. This series was created by Neil Druckmann and Craig Mazin, and we have costume designer, my friend, Cynthia Summers. She is so cool. I love her to death. She is so great. Some of her notable work, uh, a series of unfortunate events on Netflix for which she was nominated for an Emmy. 
I love this show. You have to go check it out. Yes, it's a little bit of a young show, but the costumes are just a masterclass. They're so good. She also designed the costumes for Altered Carbon, Snowpiercer, The Babysitter's Club, and coming up soon, she did the costumes for the new Goosebumps TV series. Ooh. Oh, I'm very excited to see that. Did you ever read Goosebumps as a kid? I did not. Uh, of course That you fell didn't. under the genre of stuff I was not allowed <laughs> <laughs> to watch or read. Well, I definitely did, and those books used to keep me up at night. Uh, Elizabeth, I'm so excited to watch The Last of Us. Thank you for coming and saying hi, but I think we're going to take a little break, and you will depart ways, and I will be welcoming in our guest. I'm so excited. Yes. Sad to see you, Everybody, have a wonderful episode. to introduce my friend the brilliant the legendary costume designer cynthia summers hey cynthia hi thanks for having me here today i've been trying to talk to you for a while i know it's so funny every week (laughs) cynthia and i text and we're like okay we're doing it this weekend and then (laughs) cynthia will text me back actually you should watch next episode Actually, episode three is my favorite. You right. should just watch four. <laughs> Maybe we should add at the end. <laughs> right. <laughs> but I just, I can't wait anymore, you know. So for all those who are listening, we've only seen episode five at this point. So whatever happens this fourth, I'm sure is amazing, but we're not able to talk about it. But I think we have plenty to talk about already. Yes. So wow. we only have yeah. an hour. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Well, first, to just take everyone back, uh, Cynthia and I first met back uh, when she was working on a little show called the series, A Series of Unfortunate Events, which I loved. Yeah. I think it's a masterpiece. Um, Funny story. I met Cynthia. I went to a museum exhibit and I said, if there's one costume designer I meet tonight, I hope it's Cynthia Summers. I caught her in a line at the bathroom and we've been friends ever since. (laughs) That's so true. And that was, I can't remember if that was season one or two of Lemony Snicket. Maybe one. I believe it was two because the octopus dress was there. Oh yes, you're right. You're right. But it was a big, um, it was a big, it was an important show for me, for the show and for me. And so I was really like kind of starstruck myself with everybody that was in the room and all the amazing art and beautiful, beautiful work that was in the room. And then you showed up and I was like, who is this like really (laughs) adorable, charming and cute guy? Like what's happening? This is great. And you're all like, yay. And I was like, yay. I was so new at that point. I mean, this was just like an Instagram at that point. There was no blog. Yeah. There was no podcast. So, you know, I really appreciate just that meeting, even if it was outside of a bathroom. It, it meant a lot to me back then when I was first starting. <laughs> it was a magic moment. Yeah. Right. Well, let's dive into The Last of Us. Just all like right. everyone else. I'm obsessed with the show. I can't stop talking about it. I haven't been this obsessed with a show since Game of Thrones, which actually there's some similarities, which we'll get into a little bit later yeah. with yeah. The Infected. Yeah. So my first question is, 
I don't take you as much of a gamer. So <laughs> how did you wrap your brain around this project when you started it off? Yeah, funny little backstory. I did a prequel to Halo 4, Forward Until Dawn, like a long time ago. And oh, okay. when I did that, um, yeah, I wasn't a gamer, but I my, my oldest son was really into that game. So that sort of dates me a little bit, but um, really. he was really into it. <laughs> When I was doing all the press for that, uh, one of the gaming groups said, will you come and play a part of the game with with us? And I was like, yeah, sure. And <laughs> I got there. It was like my worst experience because, you know, you have to have that hand-eye coordination with the with the controllers. And right. I, I just didn't have it. I didn't have it. I constantly was stuck in the corner and stuck in the corner. And it was very embarrassing. So <laughs> I'm going to say right off the top, I am not a gamer, but I definitely have a huge appreciation for people who do get invested in these games and um, are able to play them. And and just, I get it. I get it now. I think when gaming first start, came out, everybody was like, why are people, young people spending so much time, you know, with all of this, but I get it now. Right. And Last of Us is, it's so well-written and it's written like a script. So the translation from game to, I think therein lies the success of it going from game to live action, you know, right. the, the characters are so well fleshed out. There's lots of backstory. There's lots of room for more backstory, more, more characters to come in and have these relationships with our main characters. So that's what attracted me to the game um, or for, to, to the game translation to live action. And also when I met on it, Craig Mazin pitched it to me as a love story. And I was like, Hmm, a hmm. love story. <laughs> Don't get that. <laughs> yeah, you're like, I saw lots of horrible things. <laughs> yeah. I saw lots of like really unsettling things and people are dying and there's these relationships and children and and uh so on that note that he gave me, I went back and looked at it again. And one of the things that actually got me was like a piece of the game that I was watching, or it was a promo for a piece of the game where a clicker actually gets stuck in a corner in the game and he can't get or he or she can't get his way get their way out and oh my heart just bled for them because you know this was a human you know that they're not evil they're just taken over by nature and they're just trying to do what is inherently being told what they're driven to do which is to procreate and and make more you know, connection with this uh, fungi mushroom world and, um, <laughs> and they, and they're, and they're blind and they can't speak and they only can echolocate. So uh, I was, was like, Oh, he can't get out of the corner and they're going to shoot him. And it's just it's devastating. So it's devastating. <laughs> and then the story with Joel and his daughter and the, just the, you know, all the devastation that happens. And then of course he meets Ellie and, that relationship. That's when I got it. That's when I was like, I see, right. I see, I see. And um, it's one of those games, like, I mean, I'm a gamer and I've played it, but I've actually watched it more than I've played it, which really speaks to like the storytelling in this yeah. game. I've watched other people play it, which yeah. is like so counterintuitive. <laughs> Agreed. And I think that's the beauty of it. You can just watch it, not play the game. Although Neil Druckmann, of course, would never want me to say that. But you, you could. Right. <laughs> you could if you're not a gamer. You can definitely get into the game via the series. Right. And I think it's so beautiful. I mean, I mean, look at it. It's so beautifully shot. It's it's cinematically gorgeous. Um, it's devastating, but the relationships are really real. 
they're, they're very real. And um, that's also something that Craig had brought up to me at the beginning was we're going to be in this post-apocalyptic world and I don't want it to look like it's a devastated landscape as are the people, but I still want to show humanity. And I want to show that this could happen to us because these people look like us. You know, they dress like us to some degree. They, um, they're going through the same uh, challenges in life that we are going through. He wanted to, it to feel very grounded in that kind of way. So all of wow. those things made it, you know, really attractive to me. Wow. Wow. Yeah. I'm, I'm obsessed. <laughs> <laughs> so let me, let's dive into the actual costumes of the show this week. Okay. And I have some pictures to go along. It's just Oh for my fun. goodness. So much fun. Right. <laughs> so... <laughs> Because this is such a popular game, you're working with Neil Druckmann and Craig Mazin. Mm -hmm. Where was the line between, because it's one of the world's most popular video games. So we have these costumes that are so memorable, but then also you're Cynthia Summers, you're a costume designer. (laughs) Where's the line between like giving the fans what they want, but then also just like storytelling through costume design where, you know, not every single moment they're going to be wearing the same exact clothes through 10 episodes. So where's that line? You know, I want to say this reference is beautiful because one something that I really didn't anticipate at the beginning of this show, uh, which is, you know, as a designer, it's okay. So I'm pitched all this backstory and all these beautiful sort of the, the overall tone of the show. But at the end of the day, it's like a jeans and T-shirt show. Right. So and post-apocalyptic. So it felt very like my range was very narrow. But that being said. When you see the show as a whole, it's just really beautiful. And the costumes, I, I want to say this is probably the first show where the costumes have been not the, no, that's wrong. It's not that every show I do is the costumes are the main event, but they're <laughs> not the main event here. And they, but they are so integral into helping our characters be a part of this world that they're in. And I, it's, it's collaboration in the biggest sense of the word as a costume designer, probably that I've ever done. Cause the tones, the reference to the game, the sort of departure from some of the references in the game, the placement of the, of the costumes where they happen in the game and where they happen in our story are, are close or the same or in a completely different place. But that was because the timeline of our story just didn't map out the same way as the game did in some instances. But what was really important was to hit to hit the same note as the big pieces in the game. So Joel's hero look, if you will, after after 20, um, 2003, then to 2023, that, you know, the denim shirt, the jeans, the chore coat, um, his backpack um, and his boots were really, really important. And they're not exact to the game. But I think when you watch it, oh yeah, and his I think when you watch it, you'll see it feels the same. And I think that's what was important. Because of course the persona uh, the, is there. The spirit the is still there. there. The spirit is there. And of course we had to take what was in the game and put it on real people and then also put it on Pedro Pascal <laughs> and Bella Ramsey and you know all the other characters that come in. So you really have to pay attention to what moves the same on the live action portion of it as to how it moves in the game or where it goes in the game. So definitely, 
this outfit that you're showing on Joel, on Pedro is like, he's like the man of the hour in this outfit. I have had so much response to what is this? Where can we get it (laughs) from press, from gamers, from cosplayers (laughs) like crazy. And which is really interesting to me because I didn't ever think of it that way. And I perhaps should have where it's kind of an everyman, rugged, timeless, accessible look. And that's exactly what Craig was after. And so now it's interesting because that's exactly what the fans are after. Right. <laughs> so everything from like, you know, certain publications are asking me and, uh, you know, other and it's fans, as I was saying. And it's funny you say that because, I mean, we'll get into it later, but I got lots of questions about like the flannels. Like, where can I get yeah. that flannel? I was like, where can you get the flannel? I mean, yeah. probably anywhere, but I'll ask, you know, yeah. type of thing. It, totally. I want to know now. I mean, yeah. it's funny because last night, last night, very late, I got a request from, I don't know if I can say names of other publications and things here, but from it from the uh, strategist from the New Yorker who was doing a piece on this exact look. um, And where did we get this shirt? And there was so much conversation and they sent a stylist out to look and find it, et cetera, et cetera. And they did find the shirt. But the key point I want to make about this flannel green plaid shirt is it's in the game. We found it at, I never say the name, right? Fall Raven. (laughs) And um, it's it, the plaid was perfect. The color was almost perfect. Um, the drape of it really worked into something we could alter because, you know, we alter everything. Um, but the thing was, everybody, and I've had a lot of questions, it looks the same, but it's not. Like the ours has two breast pockets um, and um, the Fall Raven shirt does not as it's as it comes off um, out of the factory. And um, so people were like, uh, people obsess on those small details. So last night yeah i got this last minute i think we we think it's coming out tomorrow and it's just we can't <laughs> find it is this really it and so it is it um we did a lot to it though we actually had to reconstruct the entire front of it because plaids have to match and when you've got 30 shirts because you need that many to get through all of the action he goes through Especially with his in book this double show. <laughs> and his stunt double and his, yeah, all of that. Um, and, you know, it goes through different levels of breakdown, meaning it starts off fairly clean because it's worn by Frank mm. at the beginning. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and then it gets, you know, you'll see it, it gets worse and worse and worse, but also we wanted two pockets to match the game. They don't match exactly, but we needed that. And it had some weird or not weird, but it had this sort of inset zipper pocket. So we replaced all the fronts. I think we bought them out probably Wow, wow. from that season. Um, so that's where that came from. And then we overdyed it. We tailored it to fit Pedro because he's, you know, Look at him. He's like a handsome guy. We need oh, to make yeah. him look rugged but handsome. Oh, yeah. He has 30 minutes in this podcast. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. I got one TikTok question, actually, from oh. at Hidden Barrow. And they asked an interesting question, I thought. Um, it says, at the end of life as we know it, what clothes remain? Where do they come from? And are they precious or common? I thought that was a cool world-building question. That really is. And I had a perspective, which I spoke about. Um, on a GQ ad, and uh, they actually looked into it, and they looked into it from a uh, military expert who said I was dead wrong as far as what you would wear at the end of the world. Uh, However, (laughs) (laughs) I think that, you know, for civilians who have access to, in in my mind, denim is something that's timeless. 
it's been around for a very, very decades. And I, I feel like something, it, it's something that's accessible to everyone, every age, you know, every generation has worn denim in some way. So I think denim was really important for us to show. Um, also, denim denim can be, denim styles are timeless. He's wearing 505s, Levi 505s oh, here. Oh, wow. And yeah. And um, of course, we over dyed them and broke them down and did, you know, made them unique. But I think that's accessible for people. Flannel as well. Um, and these, you know, these rugged sort of uh, oiled, um, chore coats also these are all things that are made for work they're made to be to to be in rugged environments and they're also made to help you know help keep people warm and dry you need to layer you need to do other things with it but they're good layers and to me that felt like in a world where time stopped in a matter of four days so you've got whatever was uh, fashionable or um, fashion forward or how whatever in 2003. And then you also had, you know, what people had been wearing for the decade before that. Because, you know, we keep our denim for, for years, our favorite pair of jeans, our favorite shirt, our favorite T-shirts and things. And then you take that 20 years into the future, what's left? Um, I think that Definitely jeans are something that are much more durable and longer wearing than, say, something that is 100% wool or 100% cotton that's going to be um, volatile to the elements and to people who are on the run and people who are on the move and living, wearing layers and layers just to stay warm in the winter and things like that. So, right. And the fact is, too, I mean, we all know that fashion is a highly pollutant you know, <laughs> destructive industry. Yes. So these clothes yes. aren't exactly made to just disappear in 20 years no, at this point. Exactly. So. Exactly. That's a really good point. And I, I think that um, they're timeless looking and, you know, these oil jackets are, they're more valuable to people as, as they do age because they ease in, they become, they form to your body a bit. They, they, they sort of crinkle and move at the elbows in the right places and they're super durable. I mean, we had to wreck them. Right. to get them to look like they do. <laughs> we have to boil them to take all of the oil out of them so that we could um, break it down because you can't put breakdown on top of oil. Right. That was going to be... On top of wax. Yeah. <laughs> that was going to be one of my next questions is I'm a big <laughs> breakdown nerd. And that first oh, yay. <laughs> episode when they're tossing bodies in a fire, the Boston QZ is a mess, shirts are sweaty, there's blood. I was like, oh, I can't wait to get into this with Cynthia. So what yeah. was... The breakdown process like with your agers and dyers it was deep and we had a giant team that came to us from all across north america and came to, to join us it was like the busiest busiest part of my team i'm sure and we had <laughs> and continuity we had core, too yeah continuity we had a core group i think of 15 and when we did the big episode episode five they had like up to 30 breakdown artists working in our building it was phenomenal it was crazy but you know, everything you see on screen, absolutely everything, even the new, even the, even uh, Joel and Ellie's new shirts that they get at Bill and Frank's. So the plaid uh, flannel and the iconic red uh, um, sunset shirt that Ellie wears directly visuals from the game, even though they were newer there, they still had to be over dyed so that they looked like they'd faded over the last 20 years and so that they looked like they had um, fold marks from being folded up and in a box for 20 years. So absolutely every piece of clothing, underwear, shoes, belts, 
hats, helmets. Um, oh, that's a whole other part. My team worked really closely with the uh, um, props team. So all the helmets, all the Fedra gear, everything went through breakdown. Jeez. So aging and dying and um, and destroying. And <laughs> Nothing I went from we, a clothing rack to set. No, no. <laughs> and I think, you, I think it really shows someone actually recently said that they really loved the breakdown on Melanie Linsky's um, Kathleen's jacket. Yes. And I remember seeing that for the first time and thinking, wow, what an amazing job they did. Um, because look at it, the collar. I mean, it's not just degradation of the item. It's just the, it's the palette of breakdown, which was so important on this show because Craig also did not want um, everything to be black. He didn't want everything to be dark and dingy. So you see the lady, the woman standing to the right of Melly in that lower um, right-hand corner picture. And, you know, that's like a 1980s style um, bomber sort of, um, you know, sweatsuit top piece (laughs) over top of a leather jacket, Um, you know, so things like that. We just needed to make sure we had because he didn't want it. He wanted people to retain their personality. And um, I think that that I think that we without and of course, the danger of breakdown is everything gets over dyed first to take to knock the color down just so it is an easier space to start with doing the aging. So once you do that, you take the vibrancy out of things, which was good for us, but you also run the danger of taking a lot of too much of the color away. Um, because of course you never know how a garment's going to react to being put in a boiling pot of water. <laughs> right. <laughs> and we'll talk about vibrancy <laughs> in a little, but yeah. I love that yeah. scene in episode five, just seeing all the survivors. Cause these people have gone through hell and your team really yes. had to like, Add characterization to all these different people. Um, and, you know, not one character looked out of place. Yeah. Look at Perry. Perry was awesome. Jeffrey Pierce, interestingly enough, in case anybody doesn't know, he is the voice of Tommy in the game. Yeah. He's a baddie. <laughs> he's a baddie. And he's such a great guy. I met him on another show uh, maybe 10 years ago that I did. And he played a completely different character. And uh, he loved his jacket so much that that character uh, had when he showed up for his first fitting um, for The Last of Us. He was wearing it. No way. Stop it. Yeah. And he was like, he was like, you remember we worked together. I'm like, of course I remember. Um, he didn't have a beard like this, right. but I remember. And he just kind of stood there in front of me going like this, you know, sort of posing it, posing it out. And I was like, oh my gosh, is that the jacket? And he's like, yeah, I wore the jacket just for you. I love that. That is yeah. so sweet. And he was incredible in this uh Two episodes. It's it's a bummer. We don't I get know. to see him more. I know, I know. And that beard he grew, especially. Oh yeah, it looks character. good on him. He, yeah. One thing that I was in love with, and I even messaged you about it, was the colors you used. And this really shows also the collaboration with this practical set, by the way, which still yeah. blows my mind. But especially yeah. episode two, you see Ellie against um, this apocalypse-based bo- Boston. The pinks and the greens and the earth tones, it is stunning. I was just like uh, blown even, away. Even her even her backpack, even her backpack, the green and the blue right. in her backpack. I it mean, just works seamlessly together. It, yeah. This is this is, I guess, to my point where yes, it's a jeans and t-shirt show, but this is the perfect sort of um visual of showing how the costume is important and how it works with the environment so well. 
and it does stand out, but it doesn't. You know what I mean? It complements everything that they're. And this is Ellie's first time out of the QZ as well. She's never been on grass, right? Um, <laughs> which is wild. <laughs> yeah, which is crazy. Um, so yeah, it was really important. Also, these are colors that exist in the game. So this sort of um, really sort of desaturated. Um, some of it looks a bit cranberry and some of it looks a little bit more burgundy. Um, but these colors exist in the game. And I think it was really important for us to incorporate that, especially in this in this space where it's her first time venture out into the world and all the newness of it. And um, that upper left-hand corner picture with the three of them, what what an amazing group of actors. Oh, my gosh. That is an actual overpass that goes from outside of Calgary, the city we were shooting in at for this particular part, actual main artery to the downtown core, <laughs> which we took over for, I'm not sure how happy the residents were. I was going to say. <laughs> <laughs> that entire overpass. And when you see it in the show, even below the overpass, all of those broken cars, that was all practical. That is all insane. I'm sure the citizens of Calgary are probably, once they saw it, they're like, <laughs> okay, fine. You know? <laughs> but yeah, and you know, it was such a big show for the city of Calgary and the province itself of, of Alberta that um, we had so much um, uh, support, which was great. It, it was great. There's still, still a lot of support from them on this. So it's gorgeous. Yeah, that was amazing. That was totally amazing. All these practical sets, and I, I'll keep telling people like the sets really did were built to about forty, at least forty feet tall. All Which the buildings, is insane. That's it's insane. insane. Everywhere, all of that Boston Wall, the fallen skyscrapers. I mean, I can't say enough about our John John Pano, our our production designer. Oh, my goodness, all of the sets, just so. Falls for me, these sets fall right in line with Lemony Snicket, which were also phenomenal sets. Everything was built, the everything. It was more contained in a studio, whereas these, most of them were on location. We took over whole towns to make our towns. I mean, we traveled everywhere. We traveled <laughs> by jet plane. Wow. Uh, the crew, the entire crew, because it was faster and more economical. To Last every of Us Airlines. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. Oh, I love it. Well, yeah. while we're in the beginning parts of the show, yeah. let's talk about some characters who left us pretty soon, but I felt like had great oh. moments. Nico, Nico Parker kills this <laughs> role. I was blown away. And then halfway through, I remembered the game. I was like, uh-oh. Yes. Um, so I want to talk about Sarah just real quickly. Yeah. Her costume is almost directly from the game, which I thought was a fabulous Easter egg. I just want to give you a moment to talk about this specific costume. Yeah, it, this one was important because when we're in 2003, we don't have a lot of, what's the right way to put this? We don't have a lot of uh, uniqueness in the costumes for our three main characters being Joel, Tommy, and and um, Sarah. So, and we didn't, and of course we have mostly, you know, construction workers <laughs> and neighbors. <laughs> so this was our moment to really pay homage to the game. And of course it's the opening. So it was really important. The graphic and the name um, Halican Drops actually is something that came directly from Neil Druckmann. His daughter, who was two at the time, had named her one of her stuffies Halican Drops. And he thought that was a good band name. So that's where it came. That's where the origin <laughs> of the band came from. Yeah. And um, purple was a color that, or mauve was a color that um, was really important at the beginning of the show. 
because it was a color for our director and producers and Neil of hope. And this is the only time we really see anything kind of beautiful. Like we see normalcy and, and any kind of beauty. And of course, look at Nico. I mean, my gosh, what a talented and just beautiful human being. The career that she has going forward. I mean, the things she's done in the past are amazing, yeah, but I just, this, this 30 whole, years from now, we're going to be like Nico Parker, you totally. know, Academy Award winning. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> Both she and Bella, my goodness. Um, but it was really important for us to get this necklace. We, um, it's a tooth that, uh, I don't know the actually the backstory on this necklace, particularly. Um, the, the shirt for sure, because that shirt was, you know, we built it. So that was from scratch. Um, the graphic came from um, Naughty Dog. And um, and then we sort of made it, we aged it down and made it look lived in for her. And Nico's tall and lean. So it was important for us to get the right proportions, et cetera. It's really interesting how much actually goes into making a t-shirt. Um, it right. can be as, it can be as, you know, painstaking as making a period piece to some degree, you know, um, and getting the right color. We, my daughter. That's what I wanted to ask you about this because people think costume is like, oh, she yeah. probably got that on Amazon. Yeah. Not at all. <laughs> no, not at all. And, you know, to get, I mean, Craig was really specific even about where the shoulder, where the sleeves landed on her arm. The same as with, um, as with um, Bella with her red t shirt. So it was, they were really specific. The neckline really reflects the game, um, the sort of way it fits both the game character and Nico, um, the, where it ends, you know, with the waist of her jeans. I mean, everything was, everything, all the details were important. Where the graphic ended around her hip there, um, it was all very important. We opted to not use the shell, the second shell necklace, the, um, because uh, there's so much action for her. And we just felt like it would be competing with the neckline of the t-shirt mm, too much okay. and be really awkward to watch. That makes so, we, so much yeah, sense. Yeah. So we just stuck with the uh, little, I want to say it's a shark tooth. Um, yeah. And we made made the necklaces. I, I just see amazing artisans working on this show. Super lucky. Super I lucky. I love it. And I was so sad to see her go, but I guess it had to happen. Let's take a little break from our heroes and talk a little bit about the infected. I've been dying to talk about this with you. So it's all practical, like we're talking about. um, But there's also lots of prosthetics. So where does your role come in with the infected? Just like the clicker at this point. Yeah. So the clickers, the clickers and the infected had the exact same process because so basically, each clicker, <laughs> each infected person, I know it was a huge process. Yeah, like, had four how much time do you fittings. have? <laughs> I mean, yeah, four fittings. And we, basically, we worked super close, obviously, with Barry Gower and company. Amazing makeup effects team from everybody knows where they're from, like Game of Thrones. Um, oh, yeah. And uh, also worked with Craig Mazin on um, Chernobyl. So that's how that's the connection there. But I mean, if you haven't seen the bloater yet, wait until you see the bloater. And I hope they do sort of post a lot of photos of close-ups on that bloater because the amount of detailed work in these pieces is incredible. Um, so look at that guy. Oh, my gosh. So and that's good. And the fact that practical. So it's practical. Wild. And he had to move, obviously. he had to. They all had to crawl out of this pit and then run and fight. 
And um, it's all latex. It's it's all hand painted. Um, You can see the fuzz, the sort of remnants of hair and fuzz sort of on the top. Um, At the end, one thing that they did wind up doing with the clickers and um, the bloater was they glossed them up quite a bit because with the lighting, which a lot of it's natural lighting because we're outside. Yeah, you can see in the clicker that's screaming at us in the lower right-hand corner. You can see the <laughs> gloss on him. And when they first when they first said they wanted to put gloss on, you know, as costume people, we were like, because <gasps> um, what like, are we going to do on the costume? <laughs> <laughs> but they mostly sort of stayed with the folds. And I do hope these characters travel because to be able to see them in real life will just be so magical for people you can't see all the details here but you can see uh somewhat where the um, prosthetic ends and where the costume begins and where the costume begins is where all the hard hard work came in for my team so basically we started with flesh tone um compression garments for each character top and bottom and then we built on top of that we sort of mapped out where we thought the um pieces of the um quarter set mushroom would go on the body as well as up into the neck and arms and legs and then from there uh we all went away and we started dyeing and making doing colors because everybody was a different color and then we all came back with some of these shelf mushrooms on and where the neck ended we put the whole head on um, if they had the neck or if they were just infected and they had just pieces on and then some of it was practical makeup um then we put the costume on sort of pull all the pieces through the costume and then start to glue and marry the costume into the mushroom piece. So it looked like the mushrooms are kind of like have eroded, have eroded through the fabric as it were, and sort of grown through it like plants do grow through fabric. Um, And so then it's glued at that point, then it becomes one piece, one top, one bottom, and the head is separate. And then um, after that, then the piece goes back to my breakdown team who painstakingly paint the costume, especially around the upper torso area and back and arms to sort of blend in with the mushroom itself, the work that the makeup effects team have done, right down to using all of these little different products that look like sort of um, fermented bubbles like the that are on the mushroom as it's sort of the acid is sort of burning its way through and fuzz there's little fuzz all over the ends of these mushroom heads so that had to be incorporated into the costume as well and you can faintly see it and it's creepy every time you catch a glimpse of yeah, it like, uh. it's so crazy i mean the level of detail and then and then after that it was um you know we'd get to set it was super hard to dress these guys because <laughs> everything was one piece now and everything is very form fitted and strategically placed so that they can run and crawl and fight. And um, in the game, you sort of see that they almost appear naked at some, uh, some of the clickers because the the fabric has just come away so much. Obviously, we couldn't do that because these people have to you know, act and do stunts in their costume. But um, we tried to, we tried to get as close to that effect as possible. Some have long sleeves because the prosthetics didn't go all the way down their arms. Some had short sleeves. Um, We tried to also have color. I think when you sort of break down the big scenes, you can see that some are female. There's going to be a real fun female clicker coming. I cannot wait for her. Um, Of course we had the child clicker 
Who oh my was? gosh, Cynthia, ah. the Blues Clues shirt. I was m- real mad at you when I, I saw that. I paused it and I was like, wait a uh. minute. Because 2003, like, I'm a little bit older at yeah. this point. Yeah. But it wasn't that many years no. before I was watching no. Blues Clues. And Blues Clues has come back around as well. You know, it's something that you right. tried to, you know, re- repurpose. Um, but our uh, little clicker child, Sky Newton, who is a um, physical performance artist, she's a contortionist, but she's also a real up and coming gymnast. Um, they flew her in and I am going to post at some point when I can get it together, photos of her <laughs> fitting, uh, just amazing because she obviously had to crawl through that vehicle Wild. and run and she had bare feet. So we had to do the fake bare feet, which is super hard to do and really hard to do on a nine-year-old child. (laughs) But the blues clues was, I actually asked Craig because I just wanted to make sure I was doing due diligence and there wasn't a real backstory like there was for the Helican Drops shirt. But Craig just said he really wanted it to be apparent that this um, infection could happen to anybody. No one was exempt and that it was, um, <laughs> and that it was, um, he wanted the people to look like everyday people, like you and me, like a kid that's into Blue's Clues, um, you know, like a kid that's into something else. Um, and so Blue's Clues just seemed like it's such a great graphic. And we got clear to use it. Oh, yeah. So. Oh, it was perfect. It was yeah. as beautiful as it was creepy. I was like, how much longer is in this episode? Because I'm scared now. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> and also shout out to um, Barry Gower. Is that how you pronounce oh, it? Oh, Barry Gower. Yeah. Barry and Sarah Gower, who run, uh, I think that Gower and Company is their production. Right. They London. did Game of Thrones and the episode I love called Hard Home. I haven't loved an episode of TV so much since that episode. And then oh, I wow. find out that they basically worked on this episode too. So yeah. I was like, okay, I'm upset. They, they worked on the whole show. They were with us for the whole 14 months, both in London, England, and also in Calgary with us. Um, they had a huge team and they also, for this scene, had to bring um, makeup, special effect makeup artists in from around the world because it to dress one clicker, it takes two makeup effects people, one makeup person and two costumers. So Wow. Yeah. And just a little stat, it says that there were 60 actors and 70 prosthetic artists. That's yeah. wild. And then we would just, um, we had this. We had amazing spaces. We were so super fortunate, really um, supported by HBO on this budgetarily. So we had like a huge, huge um, warehouse space where they would start at all hours in the night to put these people into the works for their prosthetics and costumes. And that was um, it was really something. Is there a role in a costume department where I just get to sit in a corner and just watch you work for <laughs> 18 months? Because I would like to apply. I mean, <laughs> I'm obsessed. I mean, for sure. Yeah, for sure. And I want to say. Minimum wage, that's that, yeah, I, I, I mean, we could find work for you to do. And that's the fun part of it. We had a lot of people because we were working so remotely and we needed so many crew. We had a lot of people that were pretty new. And it was, a, you know, a super amazing opportunity for people to learn the industry on, you know, such a huge, one of HBO's biggest projects ever, certainly for the year in which we were doing it. Right. Okay, Cynthia, Pedro Pascal is perhaps one of the most famous people on this planet right now. And I would be 
remiss if I did not ask you what it was like collaborating with the Dadalorian himself <laughs> on this show. I mean, he kills it as Joel. He looks amazing. Everyone's obsessed with his jackets, like we talked about, the flannels. What was it like? It, it was really great. I, it, you know, I didn't get to meet him or even speak with him until he arrived for his first fitting. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. So because he's so busy, like this is his moment. It Well, it's been his moment for a while, but now he's just like everywhere. So um, <laughs> and uh, we, you know, it was a long 14 months. He came in. And my biggest, you know, as a costume designer, you set the room up, you have all of your options. We actually um, broke everything down before the fittings as well, which is a little bit backwards sometimes, but we had, we were able to do that. So I really wanted him to be able to feel who the character was the moment he stepped into the fitting room. And um, he, um, you know, I'm, I'm getting ready. I'm getting my spiel in my head, you know, like <laughs> trying to find, you know, as a designer, I think we often try to find one, something in common with the person we're going to be having the fitting with. So, you know, to try and sort of, you know, make it comfortable for everyone. And for me, often it's my dog, Rudy, who um, <laughs> I have a really great photo of him holding Rudy in his first. Oh first my gosh. Yeah. I'm sure that's amazing photo. <laughs> yeah. But uh, so I'm all ready. I've got it all, you know, and you know, he's coming off. It was this after, right after the second season of Mandalorian and um, also, you know, his amazing work in Game of Thrones and everything else that he's done. So I was a little like, oh, it's jeans and t-shirt. So I'm, <laughs> I've got my best spiel going and he comes in fresh off the plane, been on a long trip and he comes in and he's open. Like you see him, like he's not, you know, it's, it's hard to walk into something like a fitting with someone for the first time you've not met and basically to some degree get naked and put clothes on. So, you know, you want to create some kind and he walked in like, let's do it. This is great. Oh yeah. And we just, I kind of gave him the spiel and I was like, so, you know, it's not going to be as exciting as your last amazing projects. And he was like, I am so down with wearing clothes that are going to be comfortable. Right. And <laughs> I've never imagined the Beskar armor to be yeah. quite comfortable. So I'm exactly. sure this is great. <laughs> yeah. And get dirty. And then I don't have to wear a helmet. And I was like, oh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So it started off on a great foot. And oh. we, I think we nailed like his jeans. They, they were the either the first or second pair he put on because we have many different options of everything, all the shirts, um, the jackets. The jackets were a little bit of a journey, um, but he was just really into it. He was chatty. He had a, he had ideas. He knows what feels good on him. And he, he you know, he's a pro. So he knows what it's going to take for him to be able to pull this character off. And, um, you know, what else can you ask for as a designer? That's right. It's that's the biggest gift of all. Dream you know. collaborator. I dream would say. collaboration. Yes. Okay. Before we talk about Tess, I do want to just give my condolences to the friends, fans, and family of Annie Wershing, who brought Tess to life, who just recently passed away. I feel like this world would be nothing without her contribution. Uh, she was incredible. With that, I'm excited to talk to you, Cynthia, about Tess. I mean, we only had her for a moment there, but her scenes were just so powerful. Anna Torv is a force. A force, uh, <laughs> yeah. Definitely. She's sure to leave a mark. We see her, um, her costumes are pretty functional, I would say. You could tell that she's, you know, been going through this for a long time. She's not exactly, I would say, a fashion queen <laughs> You know, no. she, that's not what's important to her. So how would you describe her? Yeah, totally that. And, you know, she's she 
uh, uh, well, she's Joel's partner in the story. She, um, she is, I think she feels the weight of the world and the weight of this mission that sort of falls upon them much, much more than Joel does. Joel, Joel kind of takes it as like, no, don't, don't want to do this. No. He wants the car battery. (laughs) He wants the car battery. Yeah. He wants the car battery. She does too, but she's like, I don't know. She feels like she's the grown up of the two of them in a sense. Like she really feels the weight of it. She feels the gravity of their situation. Um, Obviously physically she gets into scraps and she's just like, she's, she's really a strong, strong woman. And um, Anna plays her so amazingly. And yes, she doesn't care about what she looks like for uh, function over everything is, is, is what's important for her. We did um, also try to pay homage to the look of the character in the game, but bringing a little more color to it just so it wasn't so desaturated and so um, invisible. Um, and obviously we had to have sleeves on her because she is a real live person and she just, her character is so physical. Um, and there was a lot of stunt work for her, um, for her stunt double. So we just, we couldn't have a sleeveless shirt. So we tried to do it with color and sort of shape. Anna really loved how it was not feminine and it was not androgynous either it was just functional it was a functional outfit and the idea of of the people in the boston qz as well or everywhere is also that you gain pieces it's not like you go shopping right. <laughs> <laughs> you know you gain pieces from other people one way or another or uh, they're found pieces so things you know traditionally wouldn't fit that well um, we do have a flashback when we see her at Frank and Bill's with Joel in early days and the transformation. I'm, I'd almost forgot about that bit because it was smaller, but integral right. scene, but, um, oh my gosh, so beautiful. <laughs> right. <laughs> you, know? you could tell that she was really excited about that little she luncheon. Was really, and there was, the luncheon was good and it was better times. And there was a softness about her that you do not get at the first take of Tess. Um, at all. She's just all business. She's physically all business. She's mentally all business. It's been hard for her. Life has been hard for her. And even her hair, it's just, um, I'm glad that it wasn't just a ponytail, you know, mm-hmm. which probably would have made more sense for all everything she does. Her hair does reference the game as well. And I'm glad we went down that road and just kind of, it was always sort of messy, but wasn't, I didn't find it distracting in any kind of way. It was, it just, I think it went with everything and for a character to carry scars on their face for, you know, that's something that production usually tries to get away from because it's hard to track. It's hard to track scars or cuts that are healing within the story timeline um, and bruising and things like that. But, you know, they were just, nope, this woman would be, you know, she gets beat up. Like, let's, this is, let's make it real. This is real. So um, I really love that they went there with her and Anna just embraced it 100%. It really led to like the realness and the authenticity. I mean, yes. obviously this is fictional, but I mean, in that moment when you're just watching the QZ scenes, it could feel, you know, real life just yeah. seeing her. Yeah, you know? totally. Yeah, I really loved working with Anna. It was, yeah, too bad that her character's life was short-lived. <laughs> I know. Anna Torv deserves a lot more roles, let me just say. Yes, she does. Yeah. Uh, I cannot stop talking about how amazing Bella Ramsey is as Ellie. Uh, 
obviously she's a big part of the show, the game. She's just amazing. And I'm just like, I hear the Emmy nominations ringing in my head at the moment. Um, She always seems to have on protective layers, which I really appreciate. But occasionally I notice you work an Easter egg every once in a while, like the palm tree shirt, which I thought was immediately recognizable. So what was it like working with Bella on Ellie? You know, Bella's a joy to work with. And I had um, spoken to another designer who was working with her um, before we started just to sort of get sizes, as we often do. We're often looking for things like that. Um, And just to get a sort of uh, feel a temperature of, you know, what Bella likes, what's her, because she's a young person. She's 17 at the time, I think. And I just wanted to, you know, wanted to get as much information as I could so I could go in smart. And, um, he just, uh, he just couldn't say enough about her. And then she came in this exact, she's, she's a smart, smart human being. She's also very empathetic. She is, um, very invested in what she's doing as an actor. Um, and I, I think that obviously shows in all of her work, but maybe especially here, cause she's embodying this character that's, um, you know, not wearing period clothing, which she often is. She's in period shows a lot. Shout out Game of Thrones. Yeah. (laughs) yeah. So she's she's playing an all-American girl and um, not in a non-traditional all-American way. (laughs) So she had a lot to to deal with and a lot to sort of, you know, embrace and overcome or, or create with. And I think she did such an amazing job and she's got this great sense of, comic timing as well both she and pedro do and i think that's the chemistry with the two of them you know they're really hard characters both of them um so it's really important to have that little bit of lightness on the other side and she's always needling him like she's always trying to get a smirk a smile um approval all sorts of things from him and so she's always got that like little bit of a you know cheekiness about her and i think I think she's created this really incredibly well-balanced character. I really do. Yeah. I mean, she's incredible at this role. Um, I'm yeah. I'm so happy, honestly, for Bella Ramsey. This is just such a great role. And you're right. Like the two of them together, they are such a great pairing. And, you know, they I want to say one is more valuable than the other. They just both bring so much energy to the show. And, you know, that's, that's, that's key because you know the story really is about the t- two of them and the and the power that they or the empowerment they give each other um and how that makes them a successful pair in their journey um as characters through this through this story so um i just i think it's brilliant casting and i'm just looking at this picture of the two of them she and and uh, bella and anna standing in the water that was an amazing day in the hotel lobby that actually that's real it's, of course that's all real everything on the show is real right. and practical <laughs> but that was real and that water was just awful looking it was awful. and i assume it, a costume nightmare <laughs> costume nightmare and everything on the show was that okay today they're going to be wading through this green slimy water you're just Great. like cool. Um, <laughs> cool and it's going to be our hero it's oh, not she's total wearing white or, too so that's and cool. she's wearing white yes <laughs> or we're going to be going out in snow or we're, you know all, all these things that we're doing it was or the scorching heat it was just um that was a challenge but Oh man! But, um, well, well done by everyone. Yeah. So when you have these shirts, like the palm tree shirt, is that something that um, 
you know, you follow closely and you, you obviously have those made, I assume. Yeah. The palm tree shirt we made, we, um, it, it also has a journey. So it starts off not as broken down as you see, um, from the game illustration here, but it gets there. And we actually did the long sleeved, uh, gray undershirt as well. Like we really wanted to sort of hit this one on the head as best as we could as far as being the same as the game because it was so iconic and she gains this shirt at a pivotal moment um when they're at bill and frank's you know and they have a shower or he has she has a shower actually so i mean it's the first time they've been able to get clean a different change of clothes since they've been on the run it's and i guess i can say at the end of bill and frank and so this sort of you know the trajectory for these two characters from that point is really important um and so it was the perfect place for this t-shirt um so it's it's as direct from the game. I mean, we, we agonized over that, that sun, (laughs) that setting sun. You can't even believe how hard it was to get the graphic exactly how we needed it. We also had to cheat it a little because on the upper, her uh, left-hand side of the sun, there's a couple of seagulls. And I think there's three, there's two or three, but the way it sits in the game, you can actually see it in the game photo. It's everything is off a little, skews a little to her uh, left. And so then there's a bit of a space over on her right chest side. And when you look at something for a long time on camera and it's not centered, it becomes really distracting. It almost becomes like, is that a mistake? Or did they yeah. intend that? <laughs> so you, you never want that. So we cheated a little bit more centered on Bella so that we didn't have that you know, issue of people wondering if we made a mistake by having it off to the side a little bit. And I think that means that can't really see it. Yeah, I haven't looked at this dark. for so long. <laughs> yeah, but I feel like I feel like the seagulls are still there. I just remember they were getting really close to her armpit, so we weren't sure we were going to be able to save the seagulls, but they were important, so I'm pretty sure they're there. Yeah, I think I know what you're talking about. It's also dark on my screen, so I'm taking yeah, your word for yeah. it. <laughs> yeah. So in episode four and five, we got to meet Henry and Sam. And for the game players, I think there's certainly a little bit of a nervous energy heading into this episode because we kind of knew what was coming. But yeah. again, I really love the way that, you know, the show and the game have had slightly different versions of things. I think it's exciting. Yeah. Um, but again, so beautifully done. I actually feel like in this case, I really like what you did with the show because I felt like in terms of the game, these two characters weren't as fleshed out as well as I would say some of the other characters. So I appreciate what you did with the costumes. Um, You gave them so much more life and the colors. I mean, there's a lot of fire in one of these two episodes. So I love the glow of their colors against the fire and also the, um, you know, the face paint I thought was great. It was brilliant. Yeah. And this was again, you know, a, a point that Craig Mazin kept making is he doesn't, he didn't want to lose people in a colorless situation. He wanted to make sure that there was color in the wardrobe. And you can see from the game, in particular, these two characters were drawn very um, monochromatic and pale. Right. Uh, you know, and we're in winter in our story much more than I think it was in the game. I'm not 100% on that, but um, <laughs> we were also in winter. So, you know, we had to keep our actors somewhat warm and they needed to look like they fit in the environment um, that they were in. So that gave us license to add jackets and shirts. And they actually both have uh, two layers on. Yeah, two layers on. Like yeah. yeah. And I love their jackets because they, they're a little bit retro feeling, which is 
which is is kind of fun and gives us again that sort of uh, suspended time frame, you know, that sense of suspended time that we're hopefully living in, even though we know it's 2023. It's kind of cool. But you think- mentioned some of the background characters in the Kansas City scenes as well, like had like a little bit of an 80s vibe to some of their yeah. costumes. So yeah, it, and there's the, like 80s, 80s, like uh, Eastern European even sort of vibe. Like right. there was so much. <laughs> There was so much fun stuff. We had one guy in a T-shirt from um, the Sopranos, and he had this uh, sort of tracksuit, like 80s sort of tracksuit, black, and he totally looked like a mobster. (laughs) uh, (laughs) Things like that that kind of, you know, didn't jump out at us, but definitely made some impact if you happen to see them when you're panning through the crowd in this real cool sort of way. But I digress. Um, These two are amazing, and Kevon... Woodard, what an amazing young man. They scoured all of America for this this guy. They really did for this child because he is a deaf actor in real life. And um it it was his first job. Wow. Wow. Yeah. That's How amazing. About weight, Carrie. That's crazy. I mean, because the acting is so masterclass. Yeah. And um he just uh they I know Craig was looking for um, a deaf actor to play this role because the character is, and he wanted to be genuine. He also wanted to uh, represent um, the demographic or the community. So he wanted to make sure that our actor did um, like American slang and in specific African-American slang. Well, um, because that, that's who this character is. He, want, he wanted to make sure that it was spe- almost like specific regionally because sli- uh, sign language is different in a lot of places. So, um, so yeah, so we got Kivan. What a, a great guy. And Lamar too. I mean, Oh, that one oh, scene. Man. Yeah. I'm like, don't even talk oh. about Cynthia. That was scarring. I don't, I don't want to give it away, but Oh my gosh, <laughs> the suspense and the, just the heartbreak. Just, Oh boy. Even though, you know, it's coming, it yeah. still doesn't feel any better when it actually no. happens. Um, no. And to be honest, I actually, because they showed somewhere side by side, um, of the um, scene from the game and and in real life, and I I like the way that we played it out. To oh, be honest, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. it's no contest for me. Um, mm-hmm. Much like love the to the game, but still, yes. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> but here's here's a perfect example of you know, um, now we have an opportunity to make it a little bit more. Just like they went back and redid the game, they redid season one. Um, of the game, just, you know, let's freshen it up and give it just a little bit more. We have the opportunity to do that. It's still saying the same thing almost exactly, but um, the sort of mood changed a little and the, the um, I don't know, it was, it was a greater moment for Joel even, I think, in that interaction with the two of them. Yeah. I want to end with talking about, you text me too, you said, look out for episode three. It's my <laughs> favorite. And I was like, okay, Cynthia. Watched it, uh, and I my life was, I think, like most people, my life felt changed after watching this episode. It was brilliant. Of course, we're talking about Long, Long Time, uh, which features uh, Bill and Frank. I love this episode. I'm actually kind of nervous to talk about it, because I feel like every time I talk about it, I start crying. So I'm not aw, going to. Uh, tell me about dressing Bill and Frank. So Bill in the game is a pretty flushed out character and he's very kind of militant looking because, you know, he's a bunker guy. He's like 
you know, he's everybody left the town or was taken away from his town. It's this beautiful little New England town. And he stayed and he's made it his own. He's a survivalist. So that needed to be reflected in his clothing. And I think that um, we wanted to be we wanted to honor the game out uh, the the game look but we also didn't want him to be too militant looking i mean when we go down into his bunker we see all of everything on the wall all the like armament he has on the wall it's really kind of crazy and the tvs and the whole thing and so we decided to sort of um uh, give that sort of militant look over to set deck and as the person um of course he carries a gun and he's got his bandolero with all the bullets and things like that but it gave us a place to where he didn't start like so military looking and then to sort of get softened and sort of a little more approachable looking, of course, being influenced by Frank. Um, we just wanted, we didn't want to have to start like way up here and have to go, you know, end up down here. So we kind of made him a little more um, utilitarian, I guess, in a way, as opposed to militant. Um, and then, of course, Frank shows up and Murray Bartlett. What a dream boat to work with. <laughs> right. <laughs> but, um, yeah, he came in and, you know, a lot of his uh, fitting was done in, in a wheelchair because he winds up in a wheelchair. Oh, wow. And so we actually had one so we could see. Never heard of that before, I have to say. Yeah, well, <laughs> you know, how are things going to sit? How are, we needed to be able to show that his body was um, falling apart and, you know, he was becoming thinner with his ailment and um, he was becoming more frail and the sort of shake we needed to be able to show. So uh, we, you know, we went with larger pieces of clothing. That's one easy way to sort of make someone look smaller. Um, and then when, but sitting in a chair, we wanted to make sure like his, his knees kind of sort of not protruded, but sort of, they were more accentuated by his uh, clothing. And he probably would be wearing sweatpants or something soft because it's hard for him to get dressed, no zippers, all of that kind of thing. And um, the collar of his shirt, as you see in this, looks larger to sort of show that maybe he's lost a lot of weight. Um, of course, makeup helped a lot. But just what an amazing, again, love story. And I think that um, we shot all of our episodes out of order as well. So we we actually started in Boston. I can't remember when we shot this one. We shot five at the very end. But in any case, so you don't really know where everything's going to land when when the season's put together in the in its finality. You have a good idea, but they may move some stories around a little bit. So I think that putting this story in episode three after, you know, going through 20 years of starting off in Austin, Texas, and then winding up in, you know, the Boston and everything that has happened and everything's falling apart. And there's, we know that there's these clickers. We know there's this to stop for a minute and see what one couple, how they've survived this pandemic and where they've landed up in the world i'm not going to make you cry uh, it was just such <laughs> i'm like a don't look at her <laughs> i know it was just a beautiful moment it was just and the connection with the green flannel and the i mean i mean come on craig mazin and his writing team are just geniuses i the placement of this episode couldn't have been better couldn't i been honestly better. can't say enough good things about this and then final question um, let's put this to rest. I got so many questions about the fa the flannel. Um, okay. Someone on TikTok at good old Terra Firma says in all caps, please ask if Joel is wearing <laughs> Frank's shirt at the end of the episode three. Was that intentional? Yes. And yes. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> intentional. 
Um, <clears throat> definitely. It's uh, also a, a beat from Craig, just like just like the um, Blue's Clues and just like some other things that you'll see in this because F Frank and Joel weren't friendly. In, in, in fact, uh, he he just met Frank when he got, he knew Bill. So that's how he meets Frank at Frank's town. And, and Joel doesn't trust anybody and rightly so. But I think it showed the humanity within Joel to make the choice of honoring Frank and Bill by wearing this flannel shirt that was the final thing that he saw Frank in. Um, and it, you know, I think that was the, that was the motivation of him wearing this shirt. It's Cynthia. It's, it's beautiful. <laughs> I love it. Try not to cry. Yeah, it was really beautiful. Yeah. Cynthia, I really, truly love your costumes on the show. I think it's genius and, you know, video game adaptations don't always go well. It's just kind of the thing. And I really feel like this is the first time I feel like I've watched a video game adaptation. Like there is hope for video game adaptations. <laughs> I just think such a brilliant job. And I just want to ask you, you know, what did this project mean to you? I just, it's so exciting. Yeah. You know, I think, I think when we all start a project, we have, you know, a perceived notion of what it's going to be, uh, how it's going to turn out. Often it doesn't, or it segues in a different direction. And I think that until we were done, until there was, I had some space from it, like a month away from production and started to actually see what the, what, what the scenes were starting to look like as a whole with the music, with the everything all together. I really had a new appreciation for beauty and simplicity, if you will. Um, and how all the departments, all of the departments just sort of, you can see how we all work together and just the beauty of it all. And, and um, the adaptation I think is, is brilliant. Obviously it's doing so well, um, but I just, I'm very proud of it. I'm very proud of it. And I was a little bit surprised because like I said earlier, you know, it's, this show is not really about the costume as a standalone feature in any kind of way. It was more about collaboration and creating this beautiful world so we could watch the story and not necessarily, I mean, you're blown away by the scenery and by the sets and maybe by the costumes, but it's really about the whole effect. And that's, I'm, I'm very proud of this production for that. I, re I really, really am. And I, that's right from the storytelling, right from the top on down and everyone in between. It just, it, it's, um, it's beautiful. I mean, it's really beautiful. Mm -hmm. Yeah. As an audience member, I have to say like the thing I appreciate about the most, you know, you kind of touched on earlier is the humanity of it, just the practicality of it. It just, you know, it makes you excited about TV film, knowing that all this is, you know, practical makeup. It's not a lot of visual effects. It's real sets, real people, real actors, you know, deaf actors. It's, it's, incredible and just makes you excited just about the industry as a whole and you're a part of that your team's a part of that so yeah. i just have to say i i think what you've done with the show is amazing i'm so personally happy for you and your team you. i just could talk about this forever i'm so excited and i just Yay. i really hope that this train keeps going i hope you get to continue with them because i just want to keep talking about this until the bitter end so. Yes, I do too. I think it's going to be, I mean, I, I Craig Mason did say somewhere in, in the press that um, there, 
and there is a season two, it was announced, but that there wouldn't be pa- anything past season two. Of course, that anything can ever, always change, but for him, the story ends there. And he's a firm believer in not beating a dead horse. You know, he he's a firm believer in this is the story. Let's not milk it and and let's leave it as this beautiful piece of film art and uh, have people because it will be accessible to go back and rewatch and rewatch and rewatch which, if you like. So, uh, which I'm yeah. already doing so on a weekly basis. <laughs> Cynthia Summers, <sighs> I am so happy you got to join. I'm so happy for you. Please Yay. come back anytime you have something coming out. I just love talking to you. Thank you. I love talking to you as well. I'm glad we did this. And um, yeah, maybe we should talk again at the end. Yeah. I mean, honestly, I still have like 20 more questions. So yeah, in a couple more weeks, just I'll text you. (laughs) Let's do it. Let's do it. The Art of Costume Blogcast is hosted and produced by Elizabeth Joy Glass and Spencer Williams. Our audio engineering and editing is done by Dan White. Follow us on Instagram at the Art of Costume Pod or visit theartofcostumeblogcast.com for all blogcast updates. If you want to support the show, go to theartofcostume.com slash podstore. For more costume reviews, deep dives, and interviews, head over to theartofcostume.com, a blog dedicated to highlighting the best in costume design. 